Hi, I'm Dave Baker. This is It's Pronounced Zine. This is our podcast about do-it-yourself publishing, making zines, making comics, self-expression, all that good stuff. Today I'm going to sit down and talk with my friend Rachel Dukes about her creative process, uh, how she got into making things. Uh, You can find more of her comics at frankiecomics.com or mixtapecomics.com. If you'd like to come meet me and buy some of my comics, like Action Hospital or Fuck Off Squad, you can do so at the Palm Springs Comic Con, which is August 26th through 28th. I'll be there with my friend Nicole Goo selling comics and shit. Uh, Stop by and say hi, and uh, enjoy the episode. Here comes Dave Baker with the show, talking about paper publications you should know. Authors and photographers that are fresh on the scene, don't be getting twisted. Twisted. It's pronounced zing. Zing, zing, zing. 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 Feel free to use the headphones if you want. I don't, because I hear myself, and then I get really goofy and do a bunch of dumb voices, even more than normal. (laughs) How's it going? Good. Cool. Yeah, how are you? Good. Yeah. I just got uh, some new patches and stuff in today. Oh, nice. And I'm going to show you pictures. And I get new Frankie enamel pins tomorrow. I just sent uh, Fuck Stan Lee enamel pins to press. Nice. And I'm so jazzed! <laughs> I cannot fucking wait. Pins are like a weird obsession of mine now where I'm like, and then I can make this into a pin and then this into a pin? No, like, I have so many, like, lined up and ready to go and I'm just waiting until I have the money to do everything. Yeah, totally. And there, it's, it's fun, too, because I feel like, whereas with comics, there's like a, this is $10? No. Yeah, yeah. There's like a the, weird... With merch, it's so yeah. easy. Yeah, people are like, a machine made this. It must be important. Yeah. Even with buttons, like, people still are like, well, I'm going to make buttons for the first time. I should charge like 50 cents, right? I was like, no, you should charge at least a dollar. Yeah. I was like, and if you charge somebody a dollar for something, you can charge them two dollars or something. I was like, and if you're charging two dollars, you can probably charge five. Mm-hmm. Like, people don't understand the perceived value of the thing. Yeah, absolutely. That being said, I don't know if I'd pay $5 for a button. I wouldn't either, but I mean, <laughs> I, like, yes, there absolutely. are people that, absolutely. That, and there are products that people will... Well, you saw this design, I'm sure, but it's uh, on, yes. on stickers and patches now from Silver Sprocket. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's great. Which is cool. Do you, do you have any conventions lined up that you're going to soon? Um, I'm going to CatCon later this month. That's literally just a con for cat people, right? Yeah. It's really good. What's the demographic of vendor at that? Is it like uh, check out cat food stuff? Or? Yeah, like last year was sponsored by Rachel Ray, so there was a lot of people selling like cat food. Not a lot. It's weird. Like the show was twice as large as I thought it was, I think, because I walked around and I was like, this doesn't seem like a really big show. This because it was the first year last year. And then um and then I realized I'd somehow missed, like, half the show. What? Like, yeah. there was a whole other auditorium there, like, or there something? there was so much stuff going on that I just missed. <laughs> um, well, I think part of it is, too, is I walked around on Sunday, and, like, half the vendors sold out on Saturday and bailed. Whoa. Yeah. It was huge. Like, people were just like, I love cats. I'm yeah. coming with money because I want to have cat shit. Yeah, yeah, because it's, like, it's for, like, cat moms and cat fans and, like, just, like, any any cat really that that, you can that seems so open-ended that i would almost think it wouldn't be good because there's like is there. that's the really that'd be like thing like it's like a convention blue con for people who like the color blue right yeah no like like 
I'm like I'm not a I'm a cat person, obviously, so like it's catered towards me. But like even if it was like dog con and like just to go and like walk around and see the variety of like merchandise and vendors and creators and that sort of stuff, like I still would have found it super entertaining. Huh. Because like you've got people creating merchandise for cats, you've got people creating merchandise for humans that like cats, you've got people building furniture for cats and that's so crazy there's, someone was selling robot cats in case you're allergic <laughs> but still really want a cat like there was people doing caricatures where they were like, like drawing, drawing you, you as, as a, a cat. cat that's hilarious there was people doing there was a whole row of people that were doing it was some cat pun based but manicures with like cat designs on them huh. and it was just crazy but like in a good fun way. Yeah. People selling, you know, plush and shirts and original art and paintings and there's someone that's going to be there this year that does like intimate pet portraits that's promoting herself. What is intimate pet portraits? Like she comes to your house and takes a picture of your pet because your pet like, it's like boudoir but like with pets. (laughs) (laughs) So like it's everything. Like it is a little open-ended but like I think you're your primary fan is probably an internet person that's there to see like Lil Bub. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's like yeah. Lil Bub is there. Is he like is he like year. the Stan Lee of CatCon? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, last year for sure. Like I forget who's coming this year. It's Do people Lil hate Bub. Lil Bub as much as I hate Stan Lee? Where it's like yeah. Lil Bub didn't he was not really the only ugly cat. My ugly cat was uglier before that. I'm sure there are people that have that opinion. Fortunately I didn't come across any of them. <laughs> Um, I want that. I want to have that conversation with somebody where it's like, little bub isn't the real ugly cat, grumpy cat, whatever. I think cat people are generally like over posy. Like they're they're way too excited. Does Garfield have a presence there? I think I was the Garfield presence there. <laughs> like, because, like, I, ha- I have work in an yeah, issue yeah. of Garfield. So I think, yeah. like, I was the Garfield presence. Like, Paws wasn't there. Like, Jim Davis wasn't there. So I think funny. I was one of, like, Actually, I don't know anyone else that was there that's actually making cat comics. Like, there were a couple of other people there. Did that work in your benefit, though? Was that, like... Yeah, it seemed fine. It wasn't, like, you're the booth to get cat comics. Somebody said so. But it was, like, people were like, oh, man, comics about cats? Like, they'd never seen it before. Mm. Um, you know, so it wasn't like being at a comic convention where people are like, oh, cats. You right. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you have to convince comic people to read comics about cats. It's pretty easy to convince cat people to read Comics. Yeah, 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 totally, yeah. totally. Um, you do, uh, you do a lot of conventions, my friend. Yeah, you do a lot of them. I haven't done that many this year. I How- normally do like fifteen or so, and I think I've done like five, and I'm doing like five more. <laughs> Which is still, you think ten sounds like a lot, but when I'm used to doing them like twice a month for like six or seven months out of the year, and I haven't done that many yet, and we're about to enter like peak convention season, it's been pretty quiet. Does that does that make you feel antsy, or are you kind of like, oh, thank God, a year where I can just kind of hang out and make stuff? Uh, it hasn't been as relaxing as I had hoped, but at the same time, like, I'm getting a lot done, which is great. Um, I'm not getting the stuff done that I plan on getting done, but it's still productive. I did notice the other day that um, I haven't gotten sick this year. Ooh. And I get sick all the time. I get sick, like, once a month, and I've been fine all year. So it's really a testament to... Uh, how Jeremy conventions are, I guess. Yeah, for real. Yeah. I don't know why, but I never think to bring hand sanitizers to conventions. I never do. I mean, it's I've done, like, literally probably 20 conventions so far this year. Yeah. And I still am an idiot when it comes to that shit. Like, I always get sick. Same thing. I yeah. always get fucking sick. I pack it. It doesn't mean I use it. Like, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? 
So fucking funny. Uh, is what do you want to start? You want to start with making stuff? You want to start with how you got into doing con circuits? Because I feel like there's a difference between how you get into making comics and how you get into like the side of touring and and submitting to publishers and talking to editors. Like I think those are two different. I mean, we whatever whatever. Let's start with you as a person. Then how did you start uh, making making stuff? Making stuff. Um. Which is funny, because I've known you for a long time, and I don't know if I necessarily know all the answers to these questions. Yeah, I mean, it all starts with The Little Mermaid. Is it really? Know? Yeah. Yeah! yeah. I mean, like, I Fuck was, yeah! I was four when that came out, so, you know, I was like, I want to be an animator, you know? And then someone explained to me how arduous the process of animation is, mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, 24 frames per second, and I was like, oh, no, uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm qualified to do that. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I was, you know... I was reading newspaper comics. I wasn't allowed to read comic comics because they were for boys, but I was reading, like, the Sunday funnies, yeah. Oh, that sucks. I mean, like, it happens, but I mean, like, I knew they existed, and uh, so I was like, oh, well, I'll make my own comics. And, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, Disney was publishing a Little Mermaid comic book, like, the monthly floppies, and I did see that, and I was able to be like, well, that's for girls, you know, Mm -hmm. so I had a couple of issues of that, and... You know, then Nick Mag came out and Disney was doing their version of Nick Mag. Um, so, like, I was reading some comics, but not, like, traditional Western comics and or anime or manga yet. Um, but, like, I was I liked comics and I was pretty sure it was a job. Um, <laughs> and then, oh, how wrong you were. You know, and I was like, oh, well, I'll be an artist of some sort. And then uh, very quickly in first grade, like three years later... Uh, a local paper saw some drawings that I had done that were hanging up in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. They were just like, I'd drawn some Disney characters and I was like seven, so somebody was impressed and hung them up. Sure. And they contacted my grandmother and was like, hey, so we want your granddaughter to draw a comic strip for kids, by kids, for the paper. What? Yeah. And my family very quickly put the kibosh on it and was like, no, no, no. Rachel's very smart. She's going to be, like, a scientist or a politician or something. And uh, and they were like... But I think, really, like, they recognized, like, I, you know, I was seven and I, I wasn't really writing stories. I just enjoyed drawing. Like, I wasn't going to be able to create, like, independent property for this newspaper. And, you know, um, they didn't want me to get too stressed out. And I, they really didn't want me to be a starving artist. And that was an argument that we had, like, well into my mid-20s. So, like, it was, like, an ongoing, like... Uh, lifetime discussion that you know at seven they were like we're just gonna we're just gonna stop this right out of the gate um but it made me realize that you like yeah being a cartoonist is a job mm-hmm. that, that is actually a job that people get paid to do and it, it sort of uh reinforced everything that I knew that I wanted to do mm-hmm. um you know, so I, I grew up drawing. I started reading, um, you know, manga at, like, 13 or 14 when Sailor Moon came back into syndication. And, um, you know, one of my friends was already near fluent in Japanese and was translating the... We were ordering the Japanese manga, you know, that and Peach Girl and a whole bunch of stuff that was later translated but hadn't been at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was translating, and so we were reading the, the Japanese manga, but with, you know... You know, the written version of fan subs. <laughs> whatever you would call that for manga. Scan, um, before scanlation? Yeah, yeah. Before that was a thing, we were doing that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in our own homes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
I don't know, later in my teens, I started reading webcomics with Sluggy Freelance and, you know, real life and everything that was on Keenspot when that was, you know, in its heyday. And I started reading uh, Strangers in Paradise and, you know, Western comics. Um, I was actually, I was reading a, a lot of, not necessarily Marvel, but like that pseudo-realistic, like, Marvel-looking style of comics. Um because that's what was available to me, uh, you know, having a, a an indie-friendly shop that was still primarily big, too. Um, my source of indie comics was really web comics. Mm. Um, so, to parlay this into making things, mm-hmm. uh, there's no gatekeepers in web comics. So, um, you know, I started doing journal comics and posting them online. And uh, was this like live journal era or like? Yeah, it was live journal era for sure. Um, I started in 2001. Um, so pretty late to the game uh, in that regard, but uh, you know I was able to just do daily journal comics. Some of it was depressing, and some of it was funny, and I wasn't really worried about growing an audience so much as just using it as catharsis. Mm-hmm. Um, the best shit happens that way, right? You know, and uh, it was the live journal era, so we were all posting our comics on live journal and meeting each other and making friends and. You know, I was also posting them on Keenspace and then bought my own website and hosting. And uh, one of my friends started, you know, started a zine that was like half zine and half comics. And I was like, oh, mini comics. Oh, that's a thing I can do. You know, so I started uh, started printing my own mini comics. Um, I almost immediately started doing conventions. I started. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because, you know. So many of my friends in the industry were 10 years older than I was, and they were already doing conventions. So uh, I signed up for San Diego Comic-Con because Mm -hmm. that was our only local convention Mm -hmm. uh, at the time. And I didn't really understand what it like what a big deal it was. Like I'd been as an as an attendee and really enjoyed it as a fan, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't. In 2003, it wasn't like it is now. No, yeah. It it was still very big, and you would still wait in line for a couple of hours to get in. But you could walk up any day of the week and buy your tickets at the door. Like, it it was not what it is today. So it didn't seem like this huge leap to be like, oh, I'm going to sign up for San Diego Comic-Con. It was just like, oh, I want a table at a convention. I want to sell my mini-comics. I'll sign up for the show. And uh, I was working at Kinko's. and so I'd been waitlisted, and I found out the the week before the show, maybe less than, that I got a table in, uh, it was either Small Press or Artist Alley. I think they were the same thing at the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I got a Small Press table. I found out really quickly. Um, I stayed late at work one night and printed up a bunch of, like, sketchbook samplers, and I was making my own buttons already, and so I pressed up some buttons and hand-cut some magnets and was like, all right, I guess I'm ready. And, uh... You know, I grabbed some friends that were willing to share the table with me, and we didn't have a tablecloth. We didn't have any backdrop or signage. Like, we just rolled in and tabled and uh, really enjoyed the experience, and I just kept doing it. And with every show and every year that passed, I got better at it and figured out what worked and figured out what branding was and just sort of learned as I went, you know. Um, Yeah. It's pretty intense that you... Cut from like live journal to yeah, fuck it, San Diego, fuck it. Well, I just didn't, I didn't understand that, and I still, I you know, like, I don't think that you know, comics should have as many like 
gatekeepers and hurdles to jump as there are. Like, we definitely, you know, we're like, oh, well, this convention's more legitimate than that one. And this one's more important because it has a higher attendance and, you know, this sort of thing. And and at the time, just none of that was even in my mind. Totally. Um, and and uh, it just didn't seem like a big deal. And And even now, like, you know, people are like, oh, man, San Diego, that sounds amazing. Like, I would love to do San Diego someday. And I'm like, you know what? If you don't, you know, like, what's your target audience? You know, if you do really good on, you know, the East Coast circuit at, you know, MoCA and TCAF and SPX, where it's like really like book oriented, indie oriented people, San Diego might not be the show for you. Like, don't do San Diego just because it's San Diego. Yeah. You know, like pick and choose your shows that, you know, you're going to have a good time at that your audience, you know, is going to be there and appreciate what you're doing. Um, You know, uh, don't get, you know, roped into it just because it's got a lot of hype. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I feel the same way to a certain extent, but then there's also the small kid. Like, there, I was going to be a toy designer. Mm. Like, I made custom toys from, like, since I was, like, that tall. And then one year, my mom was like, you want to go to Comic-Con? And I was like, yes, that sounds fun. And we went, and it was the same thing, where it's like, you didn't need all of this fucking crazy, you know, I need to stand in a line for 35 hours and pay a guy $75 in a Stormtrooper outfit to get me a fucking RFID badge or whatever. It was literally like, I don't even know how she got the tickets, but she did. And we went and it like blew my mind. I was like, oh, oh, there's, there are people that make comic books. Oh, oh, (laughs) fuck me. (laughs) Fuck me. I'm totally going to just do this. This is so much better. And then someone else can worry about making the toys based on my comics. Fuck Yeah. Um, so that's, that's so funny though. I, I, I wish that, or I hope that's the one silver lining in the whole San Diego thing. Cause there's a part of me that's very bitter about what it's become. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whenever that side comes out, I have to try and check that and be like, yeah, but there's somebody out there. There's some 12 year old who's going to see the preview of whatever movie is there and ends up with a back issue of some weird indie comic or Iron Man back issue or whatever. And then they, it changes their life. Well, I mean, that's the thing that's so great about it is that's the good thing about San Diego becoming the spectacle that it's become is that now you get a lot of civilians, like non-comics folk, that are going to San Diego to see what it is. Mm-hmm. And they are just as likely to walk away having purchased something that speaks to them mm-hmm. as a reader. And maybe, you know, you've made a new comics fan. And not just you as the individual, but, like, maybe this person loves comics now. Yeah. You know, um, whereas, like, a smaller show, like, may not have that draw. You know, they might not see that poster for that zine fest and yeah. come out, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there, there, there are benefits to 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 all things. Like I don't know that I would still go to San Diego as an attendee. Yeah, I think I would find it too overwhelming. But I don't know. I can't. You know, I still go out to WonderCon and see everybody. So. Yeah. Are you? Are you? Do you have a table? Or are you going to San Diego this year? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'll be at San Diego. I wish I knew my booth number off the top of my head. I think it's like eleven twenty-four or something. We're gonna. We'll say that. We'll yeah. Say, with an asterisk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. something like that. If you, if you. Look up where I was last year. That's where I am this year. <laughs> uh, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, I'm next to Disney Publishing International, right on the backside of the Web Comics Pavilion. <laughs> <laughs> whatever booth number that is, that's where I am. <laughs> but you also do a lot of uh, Zine Fest too. Yeah, I I prefer Zine Fest to the big comic fests for sure, just for that type of fan interaction that we're talking about, like talking to your target audience directly and people that understand what you're doing and appreciate it and are, are, you know, that shared 
re- relatability. Mm-hmm. You know, when you hand somebody a thing and they flip through it and you see that recognition on their face where they're like, oh, man, I totally get this. This is me. Mm-hmm. Like, I I get that way more at Zine Fest than I do at Comic Fest. Yeah. Um, because Comic Fests are very much now the spectacle. And, and, and I mean this to say, like, Comic-Con, Wizard World, like, the big... Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Know, I know what you mean by yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, like, the big shows, like... I, I'm more often than not, like, I'm not kidding. You know, I say this as a joke, but it happens where people walk up and they look at the table and they go, this isn't The Walking Dead. What is this? I don't care. And they walk away. Somebody at WonderCon this year came to our table and in like a drive-by, not even slowing down, was like, do you guys have any Deadpool? And then kept walking. Right. And that's exactly, that's exactly what I mean. Like, that's becoming very much the norm and um you know even like i used to live in san diego i mean it's a very expensive show to do so maybe this isn't the example i should give but um it's getting harder and harder for me to have good shared experiences and even break even at comic fests that are rel- like that are even you know relatively cheap for me to do because of maybe just my target fan base is unable to find me it's not like my sales are going down but um the audience is different for the mm-hmm. big comic shows than it used to be. Like, mm-hmm. I find that going to zine fests and smaller comic shows, it's more comic people, mm-hmm. and um, you know, which is great. That's the point. Um, whereas the bigger shows are, you have more more civilians that Absolutely. don't really know what's up, and and maybe and maybe don't have the patience to find the thing that they're into. They're there to find the thing that they already know because it's a you know TV or movie. Uh, along this lo- these lines, I actually. It's really strange to me that people that care about things like Batman and Superman and these kind of paragons of justice and virtue have like a weird inborn unexamined misogyny. Mm-hmm. Like this may get dark for a minute, <laughs> but uh you know I make comics with Nicole. Our comics are very female oriented, you know, they're uh gay leads, uh, women leads, like it's the books are bright pink like it's a very female centric item and it's very strange to me at the larger comic shows and this doesn't everybody this is just a generalization but it happens fairly regularly where people will come to the table and be like and only talk to me and then they'll ask me if I'm the artist and then when Nicole says nope I drew it then they look to her and it's a complete shift where they go like oh that's cute as opposed to, like, me as a legitimate quote-unquote artist. Right. Like, before they thought it was, a, you know, a, a, quote, real book, and that maybe there was substance to it, but suddenly if a woman has created it, like, oh, that's cute. Like, you tried. Absolutely. You like, know? we were at, at Emerald City, which was a lovely convention. It was fucking awesome. We made a bunch of money. I met a bunch of really great people. It was a fucking stellar time. But there was the there were these three kids, 16-year-old dudes, and they've got some time to grow. They've, they're 16, 15. They're, they're not who they're going to be. But these three 16-year-old dudes came to the table when I wasn't there, and we're talking to Nicole, and we have a fairly common practice of we pick up the book and try and hand it to the person and say, hi, do you want to check out our book? And they looked at it, looked at her, and said no. She put the book down. I saw them do this, rounded the table, because I was coming back from the bathroom or something, walked up, and picked up the book and tried to hand it to the same guy just thinking i at the time it took me around the table i was like yeah whatever i'm just gonna hand it to him handed it to him he took it from me and listened to the pitch and it's shit like that where it's just real real subtle they're not really aware of what's happening but it's like oh fuck yep 
Um, do you experience that a lot? Oh, yeah. Um, I think, you know, especially now that I'm doing cat comics, like people are, are more inclined to to very quickly understand that I'm the one that made the thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because of course I'm a girl. Of course I'm going to draw comics about cats because that's a girl you, thing. But do you get but, like the, oh, you drew cats. Well, Aww. and you know, I actually like, uh, not to, I, I'm going to say this and, and then, you know, <laughs> argue against myself. <laughs> like, I tried for a really long time to not make cat comics because of that. Right. And I wasn't like, I wasn't making a conscious effort to not make cat comics. It wasn't like, oh, I can't make cat comics because I'm a girl. It was just sort of like, well, people are going to assume that it's low hanging fruit. So I'm going to spend my time doing the other stuff that's also on my docket. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll still do that stuff, but I'm not going to make it my brand. And then that's changed very quickly over the last three years, which isn't something that I had intended. It just happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't have any problem with that. I'm super into it. But, um, you know, obviously I love my cat. I love drawing comics about my cat. I'm not going to not do it uh, (laughs) when when it suits me. And I just happen to be in a very long stretch of that right now, which I'm super, super happy about. Um, You know, so it's a lot easier for someone with that type of base assumption of girls only, you know, make comics as a hobby and they're always cute things. Like, it's really easy for that person to come up and go, you know, oh, well, of course you made this. It's it's your cat. It's a girl thing. Um, You know, but for the last 10 years prior to this or seven years prior to the last three years, you know, I was making comics with queer leads and Mm -hmm. I was doing relationship stories and I was publishing anthologies about music and I was doing like so many other things that were not necessarily you know targeted as you know female products or comics for women um and I got that constantly like I remember at one Emerald City um I was tabling and I I didn't I didn't have a table buddy with me for whatever reason I was there by myself so I was at the table 24 7 for the show and there was a guy, like, two booths down from me who uh, – I'm blanking on what he was an artist on. Whatever whatever 2009's equivalent of The Walking Dead was. Okay. Oh, no. You know what it was? I remember who it was. It was one of the, one of the new artists on Runaways. Oh, okay. Um, and he was, like, two booths down from me. And there was no one there doing line control. There was this huge queue of people to meet him and sign their books. And it spanned pretty much the entire island Mm. that we were Mm -hmm. a part of. And so this line to meet this guy, I'm so sorry I don't remember his name. My apologies. Um, But it was just forever. It was all day. I had this line in front of me. And so no one was coming up to my booth from the other side of the line because that's what happens. And so I was pitching to everybody that was in the line. Yeah, like you do. <laughs> like I've you done do, that too. It's, yeah. all, it's all you can do. Yeah. So I was talking with people and pitching them stuff. And at the time, I had some journal comics on the table, and I had my two music anthologies, and we had a record we'd released with one of the anthologies, and you know, like belts and shirts and all the all the same stuff we have now, just like you know the early prototype yeah, yeah. merch of of all the stuff that we're doing now, and. um and the line had kind of slowed down. The guy was talking to somebody. So this 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 other attendee, this attendee was in front of my table for a, at least a half an hour. And so the, for like the first half of the time he's standing in front of my table, he's just trying not to look. He's trying not to make eye contact with me. Mm-hmm. He's trying not to listen to my pitch, so on and so forth. And then finally I engage with him. And I was like, hey, you know, could I interest you in some comics while you're waiting? 
And he was like, oh, well, what are they about? And so I explained, you know, these mini comics over here, my journal comic, and they're, you know, this one's, you know, this, this one's that, X, Y, and Z, you know. And uh, I also have these two music anthologies. If you enjoy music, you know, there's, you know, this creator and that creator and this musician and that musician and this style of music. Like, I'm sure there's something in here that I could interest you in, you know. And and then there was that pause where he went, oh, so you created this. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I, I I did these journal comics. These are mine. And I And I edited these books. And he goes, so but you wrote them. And I was like, oh, no, no, I, I write and draw. I, I wrote and drew these journal comics. I printed them and folded them myself. You know, the, the two Perfect Bound books, like, I edited and I have stories in each of them. And just the look of disbelief on this guy's face, you know, it, I mean, it's common. It's the same thing that you're yeah. talking about. Like, he just didn't believe me and there was no one else at the table for him to, like, be like, well, what about you? What did you do? Like, there was no one else there to kind of pass some of the, the effort off of to. Is that a fan thing where he's just, like, so consumed with Captain America or whatever that he doesn't understand, like, indie comics as a thing? Or is that what we're talking about in the misogyny thing? I think it's, it's I, and I think in his, his instance, it was maybe a little bit of both. He was an older gentleman, so, like, he's been around comics long enough that you would imagine he knows what independent publishing is. Um, but also... Um, you know, because he's an older gentleman, I, you know, I'm likely to believe that there's probably some misogyny going on. Like, <laughs> yeah. like no, not, I, not, I to, not to not make to generalizations. Throw, not, to throw, not to be ageist, well, but, no, yeah. But no, but this is the thing. And, and, and age maybe isn't a part of this, but I'm finding it's it's very common with men, let's say, 30 and above, where they're in two very distinct camps. It's It's either women don't make comics, oh, that's cute that you're trying, or it's, oh, you're a female making comics. I'm so supportive of you. So do you have a boyfriend? <laughs> you know? And so it, it's... Oh, no. Right? No, oh, I'm serious, no. though. Like, oh. I, there are people that are very genuinely supportive of female comics, and I love each and every one of you. I don't mean to talk shit, but, like, oh, no. generally speaking, when, you yeah, get, yeah. when you're talking to men at a, of a certain age group, of a certain type... um. That's what happens. Oh, no. And uh, so since he wasn't asking me if I was taken, I'm going to assume he's in the other other camp. camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, If he wasn't like, hey, girl, hey, girl, hey. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, But yeah, he just, he didn't believe me. And then he finally did end up picking up, I forget which of the books it was, and flipped through it for the other half of the time he spent in front of my table. And then he went, hmm, and set it down and continued on his way. Like, okay, so whatever I was making clearly wasn't for him, but he checked it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and good for him. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he took the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so brutal. Has that happened to you? Like, does that happen to you often? The, the do you have a boyfriend thing? It happens more often than I'd like, for sure. I mean, like, on the, you know, like a human being, of course, I'm flattered that people are interested. That's great. I don't mean to say that in such a sarcastic tone. Like, cool. I'm glad that you're into it. But, like, it's generally pretty skeezy, to be honest. It sounds, like, it sounds real skeezy. Yeah, like like I I'm I'm prone to giving people the benefit of the doubt in that a lot of people at comic conventions are not the most you know socially adept human beings, and I'm, I include myself in that. Like mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, maybe they don't they don't know that it's inappropriate. Maybe they are trying to be appropriate and just doing a bad job. Um, But generally speaking, like, if I'm at a convention, I'm there to work. I'm there to sell comic books. I'm there to sell you the thing thing that's on the table. And unless, like, I'm very clearly hitting on you, like, let's just assume I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. thanks but no thanks? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think that's... This Does the same thing happen at zinefests? Less, no, not at zinefest. I would say it doesn't happen at all at zinefests. Um, I think I've only ever had one person like straight up ask for my number at a zinefest, and it's because they very emphatically wanted to be my friend. And we had a lot of mutual friends, so like it actually wasn't that weird. Mm -hmm. It only seemed weird because I had just woken up and rolled into my table and hadn't had any coffee yet. Mm. And this person was very awake and very excited and I wasn't ready for it. Mm -hmm. So at the time it made it seem really weird, mm -hmm. but it probably wasn't that weird. It wasn't like, hey girl, hey, right, can yeah, I get yeah. your number? Yeah, it was you like, know? hey girl, hey, let's go like have mimosas on a Saturday afternoon. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, um, so yeah, I, I in... In recent memory, I can't think of any time that anyone's been particularly creepy at Zinefest, but I think the type of audience is different. Yeah. I think you generally have a lot of people that are more political, more PC, more mindful. Just more aware. Yeah, yeah. Way more mindful of that sort of stuff. Um, well, because it's also like a subculture within a subculture as opposed to almost not a subculture anymore. Like yeah. comics, as much as I wish that people read comics in the mainstream, mm -hmm. they don't really. But the idea of comics is so mainstream and with the movies and all that bullshit so that it attracts a lot of people that are still socially inept but not subculture within subculture within subculture and aware of certain areas of society or whatever yeah yeah exactly um let's talk about since we're talking about the zine fest thing in in correlation to comics uh this is a conversation that we've had somewhat i think um, but let's let's talk about it right now. Let's talk about how do you feel that um, Zinefest organizers and Zinefests in general are navigating the the what feels like a strange a strange uh, little bridge right now where there's a bunch of comics people that make comics that are sort of ziny, and then there are people that make zines that are very poetry, political, whatever, like the traditional definition of zines. And right now it feels like there's a weird. Not, I would hate. I would hesitate to say turf war. Okay. But there's there's a th th thing happening right now, specifically in the LA scene, uh, about like what is the ratio of comics zines things that aren't traditional zines to traditional zines, and how do you feel about that? Oh man, um, you know, as as a person that you know has tried to create zines in the past, but pretty much exclusively creates mini comics, like. Um, I, of course, I'm pro mini comics and pro, you know, printed materials that are maybe not exactly zine. Um, but wait, let me see. Hold on. Give me a second. <laughs> I have to organize this sentence in my head. No worries. No worries. Um, I would love to be included in zine culture. Yes. Uh, and I do love being included in zine culture as a person that primarily makes comics. Um I'm comfortable with the ratio of comics to zines that are currently happening at zine fests, and I don't want many comics to accidentally take over zine yeah, fests. Absolutely. Because zines need their own space, and I'm super pro zines. Um, at the same time, like I feel like many comics and independently published books definitely need some space in general. Like, while we are tabling at, like, larger comic shows and stuff, um, the audience is different. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about small press shows like SPX and Mocha and TCAF on the East Coast because it really caters towards many comics and smaller self-published titles that are maybe more akin to zines. Mm -hmm. um, 
But we don't really have that on the West Coast, with the exception of Comics Arts LA, mm-hmm. which just started. That show's fucking awesome. It's the best. I love that show so much. Everyone come out to Cala in December. Uh, Dave will remind you. I will. I absolutely <laughs> will. It's like, it's one of my, that and Ellie Zine Fest are like my yeah, two th- favorite. Yeah, those are my two favorite shows. They end Cap yeah. the Year. It's great. Yeah. Um, You know, all of this being said, like, I'm pretty happy with the balance. Um of comics and, you know, semi-comics at the local zine fests. Um, I know that there is kind of a turf war going on, but I feel like right now we're fairly balanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could just be my take on it. I don't know. Um, I'm pretty comfortable with it, actually. I think I think it's interesting. I have no idea where it's going, because I feel like things are going to be pushed in one way or another, and I don't really know what that means. But I know that I hear grumbling from both sides. Every time there's a fucking Zine Fest application cutoff, half of the people are like, I don't know, fucking comics coming in my Zine Fest. Yeah. Or, I can't believe I didn't get a fucking table. I fucking, I'm, what I make is basically a zine. It's just a little bit nicer. God damn it. Right. No, and, and I feel that. Like, when we were at Long Beach, like, there, we had talked about this at the time, and I almost, I, I almost didn't get in. Like, I was waitlisted, and I got in a couple of days before, and mm-hmm. everyone was like, what? Why were you not here? Like, why were you not approved? And it's, be- you know, I'm sure part of it is because I do comics. Like, mm-hmm. they were like, we definitely want zines, and we definitely want, you know, culture-focused zines, and I make cat comics. That's not what the show was about. There's also the weird delineation, though, between, like, there are a bunch of publishers that produce traditional quote-unquote zines but they're produced so well Mm -hmm. that they almost remove themselves from the category in terms of the discussion that we're having Mm -hmm. like i feel like tiny splendor Mm -hmm. they're amazing i love the shit they do um and they're so nice that i think sometimes if like let's say they were going to to a zine fest somewhere else Mm -hmm. if someone didn't know who they were right they might be not as welcomed with open arms as they are here in the LA scene. Okay, well, and that that specific issue with regards to how nice a thing is, like what the production value is, like that's, and this is, I think, more the conversation that we'd had previously, like that's the fence that I sit on because that's the problem that I'm having getting into comic shows and also getting into zine fest is I'm a freelancer. So even though all of my self-published work, at least right now, is all mini-comics and it's all hand-folded and stapled and whatever. I also do a lot of licensed work, and that's going to be, you know, perfect band anthologies, and that's going to be professionally printed issues of Garfield or Steven Universe or whatever. Where, like, most people at a zine fest are going to look at Garfield and be like, burn it with fire. Right. But then they're going to look at the other stuff that you have that's the same human made it and be like, oh, this is amazing. So, and and that's the thing, is, is from somebody that's taking those applications and deciding whether or not my work is appropriate for their show, whether it's a mainstream show or a zine fest, like, I'm sitting right on that fence, and those zine fest people can look at my work and go, oh, it's too professional, and then the comics people can go, oh, well, it's not professional enough, or whatever. You know, so, you know, there's definitely, we have all created these own little camps and delineations for, like, what's a zine, and what's a mini-comic, and, you know, what's too Mm nice-looking, and, mm -hmm. you know, where those Venn diagrams overlap, um... And I don't know if that means that we need to be creating more specifically catered shows for the specific items or if we need to be more inclusive or or what. Um, 
I, I, I don't know if I'm the one to pick up that torch and run with it. Um. <laughs> I don't know if I am either, but it's a conversation that I'm very interested in seeing where it goes and also in potentially being a part of it because I feel like there's... I feel like it's really important that both of those things are represented. No, I agree. Like, as somebody who likes zines and reads zines, I want that weird, shitty poetry zine that somebody, like, bled over at 2 a.m. the mm-hmm. night before the zine fest. But I also want, like, that weird art zine of photos of some dude's penis. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I want both of those things. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what, uh, what stuff are you working on these days? Uh, what am I working on right now? That's a very good question. Um, right the second... I'm working on a short comic for The Nib about... Uh, what is The Nib? Oh, it's an online comic magazine. Okay. I, th- I know the name. Yeah, it's been around. It disappeared. It came back. I feel like my explanation of it is doesn't do it justice. Just everyone go Google The Nib. <laughs> um, there's a lot of comics journalism. Um, it's primarily like comics journalism, Okay. Um, I believe, is, is, is the rebirth that it's about to have. Um, and I'm doing a short comic uh, with the help of my editor, um, Larry May Harris, about uh, women's reproductive health and the hoops that we have to jump through just to get simple care. <laughs> um, and that'll that'll be out in like another week or so, sometime after June seventh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it's going to be short. It's like 21 panels, uh, but right now it's around 40 panels, so we're cutting it down. Why, do you, um, why, why, why are you listing it in terms of panels as opposed to pages? Oh, because it's uh, the way that the website works is um, we, we format in panels instead of pages because the website um, changes the layout based on the width of the, on the, width of the, bri- uh, on the width of the browser. Oh. And so things change and move around uh, based on that. But then it also helps um, optimizing it for mobile reading. Oh, okay. Um, that makes a lot of sense in terms of reading on a smartphone and right. not having to like zoom in and zoom out for fucking exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's I I don't really understand the science of it. Uh, I don't know how, the how HTML. I don't know it. how HTMLs work anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's for that. Um, the story started at like seventy panels, so we're making progress. Yeah, yeah. It's almost where it needs to be. So are you? How does that work? Are you writing and drawing, and the editor's kind of like sculpting it down with yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I just, I wrote everything and then handed it to a Larry and she said, oh, no, no, this is too many things. And then she said, this is the point that you're supposed to be making. Remember to stick to these parts of the story. Mm. Cut this other stuff out. And I went, oh, yeah, okay. Then I went back in and did another draft and that's sort of what's happening. She's definitely, she's definitely sculpting it because the the basis of the story was um, I have have an IUD in, in a it's a little T in my uterus that keeps me from getting pregnant. And uh, I had an old one, and the old one ran out of hormones, and my body went fucking crazy. Really? Yeah, and it's a pretty common problem, but nobody could take it out and give me a new one. Oh, no. And so it took me about three months to get all of this stuff done that should have been a one-day appointment um, just because my OBGYN doesn't do IUDs and then um, I ended up getting bounced between Planned Parenthood, my OBGYN's office and the ER for like two months because no one place had all of the equipment. What the fuck? All I needed was for someone to take it out and put a new one in like not a big deal but just for 
I mean, this is this is the, you can read the details and why this happened, all the craziness uh, in the story that I'm writing for the Nib. But uh, it was crazy, so I'm writing a comic about it. Um, <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess. I'm, yeah. what, am I supposed to say something else? Is no, no, different... no, no. I mean, thank you for being a human and, and <laughs> understanding that that was a shitty thing I had to go through. Um, not your fault. Yeah. Uh, um, so I'm working on that, and uh, there might be something I'm starting this month. I'm not going to talk about it because I haven't signed the contract, and I don't want to okay. jinx it. But I'm going to knock on the table, which is made of wood, because I hope that that's happening really quickly. Um. I'm currently working on finishing the fourth issue of Frankie Comics, mm-hmm. which I have been slowly working on since last December. No, since last August. <laughs> I'm almost done. I'm finally almost done. Um, that got sidetracked by a lot of freelance uh, after I paid $8,000 to buy my graphic novel back from its previous publisher. Um do you want to talk about that? Because, I mean, I don't know we how much you're... We can if you want I, to. Yeah, I, I didn't sign an NDA. Yeah, I... Because um, you were telling me this. Or no, did you tell Nicole? That she, I, probably, I don't know. Yeah. I think you told Nicole and Nicole told me and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. That yeah. happens? Yeah, it was gnarly. It's, you're, 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 this situation that you were in sounds like some Siegel and Schuster Superman bullshit. Yeah, it pretty much was. Uh, I, I'm going to try and tell the story briefly. Not so briefly, but uh, <laughs> I'll give you guys the highlights. So, um... In 2013, I was still a student at the Center for Cartoon Studies, and there's an event that they have where editors and agents come in and tell you what your marketable skills are and what you need to work on. Mm-hmm. It's called Industry Day. And um, I sat down with a friend of mine who at the time was working and she liked one of the short stories I had written for my thesis and asked me if I wanted to turn it into a graphic novel, and I said yes. Um, and the point of that sit down at the school was not to get me a job or say, yes, we're totally going to you know, publish this because it's not what it is. But like it started that conversation. Uh, skip ahead to the following July. Uh, no, same summer, later that year, 2013. We sat down at Comic-Con and she said, OK, now I'm officially giving you the offer. And I said, officially, I would like to do this. And then um, she started drafting the contract in August they gave me the contract in November or December. Um, I sat down with a bunch of people I trusted in, in and out of the industry to look over the contract for about two months. And we did revisions for two months back and forth until uh, I felt like my interests were covered um, and signed the contract in at the end of January of 2014 and turned in my outline for the book uh, a couple of days later, the very beginning of February 2014. Uh, my friend that facilitated all of this was my original editor on the project as well. Um, I don't want to give too much of like her stuff away, uh, but for sake of the story, uh, to explain what had happened, basically uh, the publisher that we were working with Uh, that she was working for, employed by, um, ended up very quickly after that point uh, giving her the responsibilities of four different employees Mm -hmm. uh, due to some internal stuff that had happened. Uh, A couple people had left, somebody had passed away, that sort of stuff. Rather than, for whatever reason, I don't know the answer to this, uh, and it's not my story to tell, but for whatever reason, she ended up being saddled with way too much responsibility for one human being. And um, 
she never approved my outline mm. for the book. And I was supposed to be drawing the book from February of 2014 to December of 2014. Um, and that, 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 was, that was in the contract. That's when the book was due. Mm-hmm. Um, she and I emailed pretty regularly. Uh, you know, and, and this was very clear at the time. She, she understood this and I understood this, that I was not going to draw page one until she approved the outline because it was a 170-page book. <laughs> and I wasn't going to draw 170 pages without approval. Totally. Um, uh, we emailed back and forth almost every week with every week her going, you know, with her saying, you know, the story is very important. It has heavy subject matter. I want to make sure I give it my full attention. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to do that this week. I'll email you back next week, which is a perfectly legitimate thing to say, happen, do, et cetera. Um, I, d- I tell people that all the time. That's the thing that happens with important stuff. Um, unfortunately, um, that ended up happening for the next seven months. Yeah. Uh, eating up most of the year that I was supposed to be working on this book. Uh, she finally came back in July, uh, right around Comic-Con, I think like two weeks before Comic-Con, and said, okay, I read through your manuscript or your outline. These are my notes. And I said, okay, great. I'm glad you, you found time. That's great. Uh, I don't have time to read your notes right now because I'm getting ready for Comic-Con. Uh, is that okay that I hit this up, you know, the last week of July, first week of August, and finally, like, then I'll sit down and give it my full attention, mm-hmm. and then I'll get back to you. And she said, sure. And so August, I read through her notes and was like, okay, I really need to, like, sit and think with some of this stuff. I also have a couple of – oh, so by then – wait, this is like a side sticky note. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an advance uh, – I'm just going to – Sorry, guys. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about money or not. Like that seems really crass. I'm just gonna do it. Sorry, just for sake of, <laughs> just for sake of some understanding. Like, mm-hmm. um, I was I was given an advance of eight thousand um, dollars, four thousand upon signing the contract in January, and then I was supposed to get the other four thousand when I turned in the outline in February. I didn't actually get that money until probably like April. Mm-hmm. But by the time I actually got my notes back in July or August, the money was gone. Yeah, you used it to live. I was using it to live because I was under the impression that I was getting notes back on the story next week Mm -hmm. for eight months. So by this point, the the advance was gone and I had to take on freelance work in order to pay my bills. So when she finally got me the notes back and I looked at them in August, I went, okay, you know, these notes look good. I really need to like give them some thought. And before I send you another draft, I also have some freelance projects I need to do. Um, they might take me as long as October, you know, what do we do? And she said, oh, don't worry about it. I'll talk to everybody and I'll get you a new modified schedule. I'd never been given a schedule at all, period. So I had no idea what, what timeline we were on except that the book was due in December. Mm-hmm. And so her saying in, in August, you know, oh, well, don't worry about it. We'll get a new schedule made. Like, I thought everything was on the level. I was like, great, she's going to get us an extension. You know, we'll just work on the book for, you know, we'll we'll start, we'll officially start, you know, in October or whatever. Like when, whenever we're both back at our desks. Great, not a big deal. So August, September, first week of October, I hit her up and I say, hey, you know, these are my notes, you know, how's everything going? <laughs> I'm so ready to sit down and work on this full time now. Mm-hmm. And I didn't hear from her for like a week or two. Mm-hmm. And she emailed me back and she said, oh, hey, so I'm sure you heard I'm no longer with the company anymore. <gasps> 
and no one in the publishing house thought to email me. Oh my god. Um so, you know, I explained like no, no one's contacted me. And uh, she gave me the contact information for somebody else in the company. And, and that's something worth noting, too. This whole time, she was my only contact. I had nobody else to speak to to be like, hey, there's been an eight-month delay. What's going on? Are we still good? Mm-hmm. I just had to assume everything was good. Um, so she gave me the contact information for somebody else whom I contacted. And they put me in touch with the, the young woman who was my new editor. And they said, hey, this is your new editor. Uh, she's super excited to work with you on this and I went okay cool like I guess it's fine uh, I'm bummed to not be doing this with my friend but cool whatever I'm still down to re- make this book and the new editor emailed me and she said oh hey you know so glad to meet you we're really looking forward to seeing your sketches this week and I said my sketches of what and she said oh no like your pencils are due this week for the entire book and I went no <laughs> So then we had to, like, start this whole dialogue anew where, like, I explained to her what had happened and said, hey, you know what? Like, this was never approved. I just got notes back in July. You know, my previous editor told me that this was chill. I have email record of all of this. Like, we need to start fresh today. And um, apparently through some, you know, bureaucratic process or lack thereof, nobody else in the company had noticed that the book had been stalled for eight months, which should have been a red flag for me at the time. And I think it probably was. But in it, there's so much more that happens in, yeah. the, in the next chapter of, of this story mm-hmm. that I think with regard to like everything that happened, I think at the time it maybe didn't freak me out as much as it should have. Okay. Um, but I was sort of just like, oh, well, it's still good, right? Like, we're still going to make this book. And... Um, and the new editor, she had just started the company a couple months before, prior to that. Uh, the company is primarily a book company, and somehow she just ended up in the YA comics division. Uh, she's never read a comic, has oh, no interest no. in reading comics. No. Oh, no! Yeah. Had never made a comic. Like, And I didn't really know this for sure. I found out a couple of months later. Yeah. But I was sort of, she kind of sat me down and she was like, so like, how quickly do you think you can get it done? And I said, well, it's 170 pages and I signed on to create the book in a year. And she said, well, yeah, but December's in two months. And I said, yeah, but it takes a year to make a book. And she said, well, how much do you think you could get done in those two months? Do you think you could finish it? And I said, no. I said, you know, I was like, if you were to approve the script today, I might be able to get you thumbnails or rough pencils in two months. I was like, but not knowing what I'm going to be drawing, I have no idea. I was like, you got to you got to look at the outline. And she said, oh, OK, I'll look at the outline. I'll, I'll get notes back to you right away. And it took her a week or two. And then she finally got back to me. And at this point, we're end of October, early November. And she basically asked me to rewrite the entire book from scratch. Jesus Christ. And at this point, I was like, this sucks. I was like, but I signed. <laughs> like, I was like so upset. But per my contract, if I canceled the book, I had to pay them back the advance. And at the time, I had no way of coming up with $8,000. And I certainly wasn't going to relinquish the book to them. Um, so I was kind of stuck. It was sort of like finish the book or lose the book, you know. Um, so so I figured, I was like, well, I'm not going to completely rewrite it, but I'll make some concessions and we'll find out a compromise. Were they, were they artistic concessions? Like, they want the character to do this instead of that. Or they want the character to be a straight white guy as opposed to a, a Latino teenager or something. You, you know what I mean? Like, were they big changes or was it just like zig instead of zag? It was big changes. Really? Yeah, it was okay. really big changes. Um, like, 
the 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 book involves sexual assault and but specifically recovery from sexual assault and like the ripple effect that like traumatic incidences of any kind like impact a community Mm -hmm. um but the whole the whole point of the story is that um is being a survival not a victim Mm -hmm. you just you know yeah 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 yeah. yeah. um and so it's you know while it deals with like dark subject matter it's more about like inner strength than like perseverance and like has a more positive message mm-hmm. in the end and inner strength and yada yada I'm getting repetitive sorry and my new editor wanted to sensationalize the sex and violence like super super like svu on steroids but without olivia benson <laughs> like like completely <laughs> different completely yeah yeah different. it was not yeah not like, what you were making yeah she she didn't want the book that i sold them and didn't really understand the book that i'd written like uh, the way that I'd written it, it was uh, a slightly older protagonist, like young adults in college versus teenagers just out of high school in college. Um, these were people that were working full time and like about to get out of school and like start careers. And, you know, um, because I, I kind of like, well, this is a thing that happens. I kind of, you know, I she wanted a story about a young person who kind of fucked up and put themselves in a bad situation. And I wanted a story about, like, this can happen to anybody, regardless of age. Sure. And, um, but there was other things, too. Like, I wanted it to be, like, a pretty typical, like, low-budge California college, because those are the things that I experienced. And, you know, so I knew that I could speak to them honestly. She wanted it to be, like, an Ivy League college. And why would a person work while they were in school? And, like, just, like, two completely different understandings of college age and life yeah um so a lot of it was just like personal preference and miscommunication and not not even miscommunication just misunderstanding yeah 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 um but i wasn't in a position of power i wasn't in a position to advocate for myself and i mean i was self-advocating but like if i said this is really important and they said no there wasn't much i could do it wasn't like i could i mean like except make compromises. And there were some things I was like, I'm definitely not changing that. Um, But there was some stuff that I had to change that I didn't want to and just to get it done. And that was sort of like the next six months of my life uh, was dealing with that. Uh, So shorthand for what happened. Uh, She asked me in November, she said, you know, can you finish the whole book in two months? And I said, no, I might be able to get you pencils or thumbnails, but uh, I won't know until you, you know, look at the outline. She looked at the outline and asked me to rewrite it. So we then we started our process of going back and forth about what the book was going to be. Um, um, so then I spent the next six months uh, working around the clock. I was over-caffeinating mm-hmm. and I was sleeping... Uh, I would say on average, 45 minutes for every three days I was awake from sometime in December to the end of March. So I was awake for a really, really long time um, working. I draw my comics by hand. Uh, All the comics uh, had between like nine and 14 panels on them. They were primarily crowd shots, which I don't do. They all had proper perspective, which I don't do. Um, Were really, really dense. 
spent a lot of time. I spent probably an average of five hours on every page, at least five to 10 hours, depending on, on what the page was and what the content was and what it called for, et cetera. Um, but the part of the process that was slow was scanning, cleaning up and sending the pages along. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was working on a really, really old laptop. My PC had died and I couldn't afford to buy a new one or repair it. Um, and so I was uploading my pages at the end of every week when my editor would have preferred I was sending them in like every day. And I said, I just can't. It takes up too much time. I can't do it. So then what was happening was I was physically destroying my body and getting emails from my editor every three days going, you're not working fast enough. And um, I managed to draw 150 of the 170 pages by the end of March. And I had a meeting with them at the beginning of April when I was in New York for MOCA of 2015. And then I saw the cover and read the back cover copy for the book. Uh, and the cover for the book was had implied violence and was red and had a horror movie font. And the back cover copy of the book had all the characters' names wrong, and had a B story that was not in the book. <laughs> um, so I sort of kind of realized, like, oh, no, like, this is the darkest timeline. Um, I have been... It, it's not that I'm not being clear. They're just not listening. Um, so for all the self-advocating and all the horror that I put myself through, um, there wasn't going to be a good outcome. And... Um, for the last probably like two months that this had been going on, uh, I'd been privately talking about it on private Facebook. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember seeing some of those. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, not yeah. not in a place where the public could ever see it, but I was talking about it with like peers and friends that like, you know, I felt could understand what I was going through. So what happened at that point was everybody saw how epically I had destroyed myself to try and get this book done and how much the book meant to me but also what I was willing to put myself through to get a project done mm -hmm. um, and I ended up at that point feeling very comfortable to pull the plug on the project because I knew I was going to be able to get work coming out the other side of this nightmare mm -hmm. um, and you know this isn't to say that people in the publishing house didn't also like really stress out and work really hard because I know that they did. And I know that there were a lot of people within the publishing house uh, that were saying the exact same things that I were saying. This cover is inappropriate. This back cover copy is wrong. Like you guys know how long it takes to draw a comic, right? But they were people that were maybe new on staff or, you know, mm -hmm. lower on the totem pole and mm -hmm. like also not necessarily in positions of power to get any of the stuff changed that should have been changed. Um, and this isn't to throw my new editor on under the bus either. Like she and I definitely just were butting heads for the whole project, but I know that it was important to her as well. We just had completely different visions for what it was. And she gave just zero fucks on how long <laughs> I kept saying it was going to take to get done. You know? Um, and that's not, you know, I can't falter for that. She's not a cartoonist. She doesn't know. She's hired into a publishing house where, um, you know, I found out this was kind of their M.O. That, you know, they're they're very well known, which is part of the reason I'm not going to name them. Um, I still like they create great work. Um, they are very well known for releasing books that um, were previously published in Europe. 
They do great, uh, you know, translations and publications of those here in the States. They create amazing art books. They're very good at what they do. Um, but for new graphic novels that are not already more than half done, they don't care about the quality of the work. They want it done quickly. They're expecting you to do four panels per page, you know, on your tablet every day from pencils to colors. Just get it done. We just want it published. Like, you know, we don't care if it's perfect. It's it's quantity over quality for stuff that's created fresh. And that's not the type of creator I am. That's not the way that I could tackle that subject matter for that book. It was, it was just a really, like, unfortunate situation. And... um you know, I reckon I I saw that with clarity in April of 2015, but um, you know, and I voiced some of these opinions like the cover's wrong, the back cover copy is wrong, um, and you know, I was like, I've got you know 20 to 30 pages left to to like really polish, like finish, finish. Um, I was like, but now that I've taken these three days where I'm not over caffeinated and and forcing myself to stay awake. My body's tired. Like, it may take me longer than two or three weeks to get these last 20 pages done, you know. Um, And they didn't care. And, um, you know, I managed to, like, finish the entire manuscript, as it's called, for the pencils, and turn it in around the end of May. And um, We were really, really butted up against a deadline, and I basically needed notes back from my editor immediately uh, in order to spend all of June doing the edits and then July inking and August coloring uh, so the book could stay, you know, on deadline or whatever. And at this point, like, I hadn't been able to take freelance work for, like, six months, so I was living off of credit. Uh, My bills were going unpaid, and my editor knew this, and she didn't care. I don't know how I was going to do this at the time, I was, but I was planning on hiring a bunch of people to help me finish. I brought in two different people that I trusted to help me ink it. I had another friend that was going to help me spot color it, um, which I also found out is pretty common for people creating new books for them. This is a thing that ends up happening. People end up paying out of pocket to get friends to help them to get books done on time mm. um, because of just how rushed the deadlines end up being. Um I don't know how I was planning on doing it, like, monetarily, but that was the plan. Mm -hmm. And it was all in place. And then my editor disappeared for a month and never got me the notes back. (laughs) (laughs) And so I finally, like, she inevitably did get me notes. She wanted me to do too much work in too little time, and that's when I called it. I was like, you know, it's been a year. I was like, this book isn't the book that I sold you. This isn't the book that you want. Nobody had read it. At that, like that was the first time anybody had read it, was in June. Nobody had read it prior to that when they were designing the cover and writing the back cover copy. I was like, you know what? Like, it's important to you because of the subject matter, but the story itself isn't important to you guys. Like, it's really important to me. Um, I'm not okay with this cover. Like, we need to start talking like cancellation, you know, terms of first proceeds, me buying the book back, selling it to somebody else. Like, this just isn't going to happen. And then they stopped returning my emails and phone calls. <laughs> So the point of this huge, long, rambling story, and I'm sorry, you guys, this was actually a pretty long, like, full telling of it. No, no, no. That's what this is here for. Um, so what ended up happening um, 
and this is part of the reason I haven't done so many conventions this year, um, was I spent a couple of months negotiating the rights to buying it back. They initially were trying to get me to pay more than what my contract called for. All my contract called for for me to buy the book back was to pay them back my advance. Um, and they were trying to ask for like twice that initially. And I was like, no, we both signed a contract. It's in the contract. I'm paying you the $8,000 that you paid me. And we're calling it done. And it took them about six months to agree to that. And then they gave me four months to squirrel up $8,000 to buy my own book back. Um, and I managed to raise like half of that through original art sales and merchandise sales and that sort of stuff. Um, and then ended up putting the other half on a credit card, which I'm in the process of paying down. Um, so with the added expenses of around like month to month, that's an extra $850 for me uh, in order to pay that down. That's a fuckload uh, of money. Right? Uh, it's 66% higher than you know my bills normally are yeah. uh, with that added in there. And, um, you know, so it's like very, very severely like impacted my, my year. Uh, like I don't have enough, I don't have the amount of money I would normally invest into printing new books. I don't have the money that I would normally invest into new products or going to conventions or like any of the 100 things that I'm normally doing. Um, everything is very, very scaled down this year. And it's, it's because of having gone through all of this with the graphic novel that was supposed to be out, I don't know sometime this year i forget now what the original publishing date was um but you do have the right but i but i own it now it's mine again i can go back and revise it and make it what it was supposed to be i can make it better i can sell it to somebody else i can self-publish it if i want to have you had talks about potentially selling it to somebody else yeah there are a couple of different publishers that that are interested in looking at it realistically i don't think anyone that's interested in looking is actually going to be able to buy it because you know, being peers or frenemies or whatever with the original publisher. Um, So I think inevitably um, also like the greater discussion about, you know, sexual assault and specifically sexual assault on college campuses. Like, I think that that's kind of, it's not in the zeitgeist the way that it was a year ago. Hmm. Um, Or even five years ago. Right. And so, you know, as much as that's still a problem, like people aren't discussing it like they have been in the last couple of years, like we've moved on to other, you know, equally important problems. Um, so, you know, with that regard, like a publisher may not pick it up because it's not marketable, hmm. um, you know, even though it's important or they may pick it up, but they might not promote it, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and as long as the book eventually comes into existence, like that's what I'm all about. Um, but, you know, I may end up self-publishing it. I don't know. Um, I'm, oh, that's how this all got started. Doing the freelance to make up the $8,000 to buy back this graphic novel is why Frankie Comics number four Has is been. coming out <laughs> next month instead of last December. So, hey guys, that's where my cat comics have been, is uh, buried in all this other stuff. Um so that's that's what happened, and that's what happens is it's it's sort of like it's such a bummer story. It's not something that I have really been talking about, you know. And I don't want to throw the original editor under the bus, and I don't even want to throw you know my second editor or the company under the bus. It, it's a thing that happens, um, but it really severely like impacted my self publishing schedule and my convention schedule and everything about my life. Um, so, cat comics are back now. Friendly comics <laughs> is 
is uh, updating online at frankiecomics.com and Tapastic and Go Comics and Tumblr and all that good stuff um, every Tuesday. And the print comic of Frankie Comics issue four uh, will be shipping like later this month. Sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. I'm especially sorry to everyone who backed the Kickstarter last June and has been waiting really, really patiently for issue four and the dolls. It's coming soon, I promise. <laughs> it seems like uh, you've managed, or maybe this is just your, the public face, and as soon as we start stop recording, then you're going to be, like, fucking screaming in anger. But it seems like it hasn't impacted your view of the industry in a particularly negative way in terms of you seem to have a little head about it and take it in stride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Copy that. Copy that. No, no, public like, face it is. No, like, um, I think I'm done being broken about it. Um my partner was really, really stressed and broken about it at all the times that I should have been stressed and broken about it. But it didn't behoove me to be upset at the times I should have been upset because then I wasn't getting the things done that needed to get, get done. done yeah. um, so, like, there, the, the times that I get bummed out um, are, for instance, like, before we started recording, you and I were talking about creating enamel pins and like creating new merchandise and stuff and like that's when i get bummed is when i sit down and i'm like you know oh man like i have all these designs that are totally ready to go to print and i have no money to print this thing Mm -hmm. like that's when i get bummed um but it's like it's it's a very like personal small thing like i know in another six months like like in another three months i'll be done paying that eight thousand dollars down like my you know i know that i'm really quickly coming up on that light at the end of the tunnel at this point. Um, So, you know, I feel better about it than I probably did six months ago or, you know, definitely 12 months ago. Like Facebook keeps showing me memories from this time last year. And I'm like, Facebook, no, like I don't want to remember where I was a year ago. Like I'm going to pretend it's June. It's not just yet. But uh, last June, Uh, Like, right now, like, today, a year ago, I was probably turning in my edited pencils for the manuscript. Uh, Actually, you know what? I never actually turned them in. I finished them. And then I wrote the email that was like, hey, so I did most of those edits that you asked me to do, but I don't think you're going to want to see them. I think we should probably cancel the book. Like, that was happening today, a year ago. Um, So, you know... um, you know, definitely in a better place than I was about it. Um, it's it's definitely... Um, I'm not so burned that, like, I'm going to stop pursuing working with big publishers. Like, I love working on licensed work, but um, I'm definitely a lot more wary, wary? Yeah. yeah, than mm-hmm. I think I was. Like, um, the thing about it... Like, honestly, my contract was super solid. The only thing that was missing from the contract was a clause in there about the editor doing their job within X amount of time. Like, everything else was in there. I was completely covered with the exception of that one clause, and it ruined me. Um, So, you know, I'm definitely being more careful moving forward about, like, you know, what's going where, and, and is this project precious to me, and, you know... That sort of stuff. Um, you know, I'm currently talking with a couple of different publishers about uh, Frankie comics. And um, 
there's I love every publisher that I'm talking to about it, but I'm asking for one thing that I know no one's going to be able to give me, and that's for me to retain the character and copyright rights, uh, you know, to Frankie and myself because they're us, and um, I can't give that up. Like, you know, for no, if if not just for my my own ego and interests, it's because you know I also create journal comics and I create other work with these characters, and. Um, you know, that's maybe something that I might not have been so stringent about a year ago or two years ago. Um, but definitely, like, having gone through everything I went through, I'm going to be a little bit more wary about the contract and a little bit more specific and uh, adamant about my own needs. Well, also, I mean, how are you going to sell the rights to Michael Bay and have a Frankie Comics movie with if they take the rights to you? Right? I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got you got to give the people what they want. So. <laughs> and what they want is Robot Frankie and explosions yeah. and uh, thongs. I yeah. think that's like the winning recipe for Michael Bay movies, right? Uh, yeah, that's how that works. That's what we all want. <laughs> yeah, it's totally what I want Yeah. when I go to a fucking movie. Uh Let's uh, let's transition a little bit because I feel like we've been talking very heavy. Yeah, sorry guys. Matter. Uh, I usually uh, talk with people about um, convention stuff and if they have any yeah. tips. Oh man, I have, have so tips, many tips. Tips about uh, how to either table at conventions or stuff to bring or any of that stuff. All know? of it. I'm actually uh, that was one of my big projects for this year that I'll probably get started on uh, later this fall. Is I'm I'm going to be writing a how-to book. About, about all of this. So Ooh. I have lots of thoughts oh. on this. Well, I want to read that. Yeah, yeah. Is it called The Rachel Duke's Guide to Conventioning or something? You know, I, called? I, keep, I keep joking that, that my eventual, like, self-published, you know, how-to and, and autobiography book is going to be called, uh, you know, Don't Do What Donnie Don't Does, The Rachel Duke Story. <laughs> uh, but that's not really what it's going to be called. I have no idea yet. Um, yeah, I have so many opinions. Um, I might need you to, like, prompt me about specific things, Sure. Uh, let's talk about just kind of... Um, st- I feel like you and I are, are both pretty good at, at the act of selling and interacting with a customer and r- arranging booths. Uh, yours, I think, is a little bit better than mine. Mine's kind of just like, hey, check it out. There's books. Come here. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I mean, that's something though. I have so much more merch than you do. Yeah. And so I think that that's that's a big part of it. I think that your your booth is lovely. It, it's just books, and and yeah. not not just books. No, but yeah, it's, you know, but it's primarily books. It's yeah. books. So you know, yeah. there's there's unless you're gonna make taller piles on the on the outer <laughs> edge, like no, no, no. And this is the thing. You probably understand where I'm oh, going. Oh, I do. With this. I do. I get so, it. So this is the thing, you guys. And I'm so sorry you can't see me. You're just gonna have to try and imagine the thing that I'm explaining with words. So, um, for sake of argument, let's just pretend you have your own table. Uh, this works with a half table as well. What you want to do, <laughs> what you want to do, is you want to have your tallest displays or items on the end of the table, and then have sort of a U shape where the piles go down <laughs> towards the center of the table, either leaving yourself a blank area to sign books or sketch if you sketch at a show, which I wouldn't recommend doing, but hey, I get it. A lot of people do. Um, so then what happens is is you've created like a little frame or border around yourself that direct the, the attendee's eyes to you and whatever is most important in the middle of the booth, so that way you can interact with them um, versus having, you know, uh, I don't know, like them looking at the person and tabling next to you. I stuff. feel like uh, I feel like Kevin does that. Kevin, I don't, what is his last name? Yahuli. I Yahuli? can't pronounce Kevin's last I name. I love you, Kevin. I'm sorry. I feel like it's. 
I'm gonna butcher it and just say Yehuli. I'm sorry, Kevin. Yehuli. I don't know. Fuck me. I should have brought him up. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kevin. I love you. You're so nice. You're Wait, such you, a great what is, guy. What is Kevin's website? Send them to Kevin's oh, website. Oh God, I'll put it in the in, in the, the show notes. In the show notes. Uh, yeah, or Aristotle can look it up right now. But Kevin makes a lot of really dope mini comics. He also They're went amazing. to the. Uh, he went to school. Did he go to school with you or just no, the same school? Kevin was a few years before me. Okay, the Center he, for Cartoon Studies. Yeah, he went to the Center for Cartoon Studies as well. Uh, makes a bunch of dope mini comics and comics. Now and doing the like handmade lapel pin, yes. like clay armature stuff. Yeah, no, his shit's dope. I love his shit. He's a really, really nice guy, super sweet. And I feel like he does that well. Mm-hmm. He he has like a weird little like hutch. He's he created this his, little house. He's he got like, like a little house that he puts mini comics and shit in. It's fucking rad. Uh, and every time I see that thing, I'm like, man, I wonder if there's something I can do like that. Because <laughs> I, feel, I feel like there's something... To, the, to, to steal from that guy. The only downside to Kevin's little house, it doesn't even look like a house, you guys. I'm no, sorry. it's not a house, like, but for for our conversation, yeah. it's, a, it's Kevin's house. The the only downside to it, and this is a, a personal thing, is it it makes it really hard for him to grab anything from the house and, and hand, hand it, it to, to the you. person. Absolutely. And I love grabbing the comic off the table and handing it to the person and this is a tip you guys because then your job is halfway done yep they've touched the thing they've interacted with it and then they open it and you've made your sale um so you know to, to or they open it and you haven't made your sale but that's one less decision that, that that person has to make you're removing a decision from the the flow chart of decision making things right um, you know, you've given them the, th- the thing to look at that you think they're probably most interested in so uh, less decision fatigue you mm-hmm. know easier for them um, it's Kevin you. at uh, word, dot WordPress or dot Tumblr. Yeah, both. You okay, spell, spell it. it uh, spell it. U e h l e i n. Julian? Julian? Hmm? I don't know. He's a lovely guy. Fuck me for not knowing how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> He's a lovely, lovely guy. Super, super nice. Always very positive. See him at a bunch of shows. Great dude. Kevin's the best. Kevin's the best. I don't know how many times I can say that, and it'll make up for the fact that I fucked up his name and didn't know his website. I should know that. I've interacted with him I mean, hundreds of times. The, the the sad fact that we can't pronounce Kevin's last name wouldn't have helped us because it's his website. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Kevin's the greatest, though. Go check out his stuff. Um, but yeah, so cool yeah, I, I table hand layouts, stuff. handing stuff to people. Um, this is the thing. Um, this is something that I still see happening a lot um, at conventions that I really like, that I cannot say do not do this enough. What happens is, is like you and I were just talking about the benefit of picking a book up off the table and handing it to a person and engaging in that conversation. Something that's happening too much that I feel is a detriment is people hand the attendee a postcard or their business card or something that's free. That's That closes the conversation. I know it seems like a really easy way to go, oh, well, here's a thing that I do. But then that, that person feels like they have been awarded the thing and have fulfilled their purpose at your table. Yeah. And it gives them a reason to leave. Absolutely. So if you want to hand the person the comic and say, hey, this is a thing that I made. Are you interested in it? And then, let's say then they say no. They say, oh, no, I don't know. This is for me. That's the time that you hand them the free item and go, oh, well, if you change your mind, this is how you find me. Then hand them the free thing. Don't do that first. Yeah. And it's funny, too. Like, I feel like right now there's especially 
in the convention scene, there's so many people doing exactly what you're saying of handing out free stuff that it it's um, created this atmosphere of oh, this is free, cool, I'm gonna walk away with this. When it's a twenty dollar hardcover, right, or a f- giant two hundred and fifty page trade paperback, it's like motherfucker, that is not free. Do I look like Random House? Yeah, yeah. Fuck you. No, for real. Um, it, it it also like when we talk about the perceived value of objects, like if you're handing someone a full-color, six-page sampler of comics, and that's your free item. It costs you 6 to $8 to print, and you're giving that away for free. You're kind of ruining it for everybody. Like, maybe that's, that's cool for you to eat that cost, but then if I'm selling a 40-page black-and-white mini that maybe has a color cover, someone's going to go, oh, well, I just got this other comic for free from this guy. Why does yours cost $4? Mm-hmm. So, like... It's something that you have to be kind of careful and thoughtful about um, because really I we, I don't know how to uh, segue into this thing that I want to talk about. Um, but it doesn't really – it doesn't really – Just do it. We don't need to segue. It, do, do it doesn't it. speak to advice. It's just sort of about something that's going on with the industry where we talk about like wanting fair page rates or people to pay the the appropriate value for comics. But we're continually undercut by people that are willing to work less or are willing to lose money on this their work. This is a conversation that I've been having for a lot recently. I'm going to get on my fucking pedestal. We need a goddamn union. I agree. We need a goddamn comic book creators union. No, you saw like two years ago was the anniversary of the Disney strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, uh, you know, all that went down. Someone Google that if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but even so, like I feel like in comics, because I feel like that's a, a slightly separate thing. Well, people have tried to unionize like, several times several and failed. Times. Absolutely. But something that I found, and I this is so funny. I've lived in LA for like three years and haven't actually bothered to look into this, but I know this exists. Um, there are there's like a writers' union and there's an illustrators' union. But you mean there's the WGA? Is that mm, what you're talking about? I don't know. The Writers Guild of America. Yeah, is the is a. I, maybe you're talking about a separate union, but the Writers Guild of America is for uh, animation and film writers well, exclusively. See, and this is what I'm wondering. Like, there has to be something akin to that that comics falls into because it's still a visual property. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty of people that write comics that also do screenplays and also do animation. This guy being one of them. Right. So... I don't know. I don't know. I feel like that conversation gets brought up every 10 years or so, and then Marvel and DC just fucking cut the knees out from whoever's having that conversation because we can't have a union without the people at the top. Mm-hmm. That's Unfortunately, you can't do bottom-up. You have to have Jim Lee and Jeff Johns and Robert Kirkman and whoever uh, the big name is to the at the time. Why, why are you giving me that look? I'm laughing because I'm thinking, like, oh, we should just try middle out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that would work, but I really, I mean, I feel like, because they tried, what, like, five, ten years ago? Mm-hmm. With the Steve Niles, Tony Harris, and a bunch of those kind of raw studios, or whatever, the, what was the name of the comic company? Know. You know, yeah, yeah they, I mean, made I know horror, about. they made horror comics, and it was Steve Niles and Tim Bradstreet and all those dudes. They put out an online manifesto, and they tried, and nobody gave a shit because everybody's too scared. Yeah. And we are getting systematically fucked. Like, no. systematically fucked. I mean, like, I post all this sort of stuff on the internet all the time, so anyone that follows me on Facebook or Tumblr, like, is aware of this. But, like, um, 
you know, the Patriots for comics has remained the same for the last 50 years, more mm-hmm. or less. Mm-hmm. But living expenses have, mm-hmm. you know, exponentially gone up since then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though it takes just as much time and effort to create a comic page, I have to create way more pages in a month mm-hmm. in order to barely break even and eat food. Or just the fact that there's no provisions within the work for hire contracts that people have to sign now that a lot for subsidiary rights based on merchandise yeah. or residuals based on their characters. I mean, I well, get it. Well, that's because that's where the, the money is. So, of I, exactly. the publishing house wants to own Exactly, which is fucking bullshit. I'm not saying, look, I realize that if you're working for the big two, you're going to get fucked in some way, but if we had a union, fucking Steve Ditko would be getting royalties for the Spider-Man illustrations that he would do that d- did, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that are on T-shirts at Target right now. Exactly. Or the Walking... Like, I'm sure those Walking Dead dudes don't get fucked because Image is an actual good company yeah. who gives all the... Keep, lets the creators keep all the rights. Um, but that's what I'm saying. Like, the two things that piss me off most right now are the fact there's no union and the fact that Diamond has a fucking monopoly. We're, we're getting more alternatives to Diamond. Uh, sure, but you know what? This boat is sinking quick. No, no, I know, I know. People, people, people are on it. I'm glad the people are on it. Hopefully they're on it quickly. Um, I mean, actually, this is something... This is another thing I was planning on doing this year that has gotten bumped to this fall because of my life. Um, You're starting a distribution network. Um, I'm not necessarily starting a distribution network. <laughs> Damn either. it, Rachel! I, Damn I, it! I'm only one man. There's only so much I can do. Um, but what I am going to do... You're starting a union? I have no. <laughs> I'll, gladly, I'll gladly join that fight if you want to start the union. Fuck yeah. I'm um, all about That's like one of my weird life goals. It's like a bucket list. It's like, I'm going to fucking start this union. Dude, if you want to start it, I'll seriously I like... absolutely do. I just need a little bit more juice behind my yeah, name yeah. before I can do it. But yes, no, I, I absolutely you. am going to do that. Okay, good. You do that. Yes. Uh, what I'm going to do, what I'm doing, what I'm in the process of doing is I'm going to create a website called Indie Friendly, which this is actually, this ties into the same thing as like I'm writing this book about how to. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably going to tie in with the website, which will also have advice and all the same stuff that would be in the book about how to self-publish and self-promote and distribute and blah, 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 whatever. Um, but the main purpose for the website, at least in my mind right now, is I have a really long list of comic and book and zine shops across North America and a couple of shops in Europe that are indie-friendly. And I'm in the process of getting the correct contacts and all the contact methods and marking the preferred contact method for all of these shops and categorizing them to where, like, if they only sell anarchist zines mm-hmm, or mm-hmm, if they sell mm-hmm. indie comics if they sell um you know like perfect bound books if you have to have a upc code or isbn mm-hmm. um if they only do big two mm-hmm. you know getting all of this correct data for these shops to release this information out into the world um so that we can easily self-promote and distribute mm-hmm. um in you know, because we don't have an alternative method to diamond for everybody yet. Yeah. So, you know, um, that that's something. And it doesn't sound helpful. It sounds really stressful when I put it that way. Like, I'm just going to give you a really long list of shops, you know, so you can I don't solicit give a fuck. them your books yourself. I will sit there and um, email every but, fucking well, one. And that's the thing. Like, it, it will be really, really useful. It's better than having no distribution method. It's better than only popping in to see shops when you're in their town for a convention. It, it gives us a little bit more a little bit louder of a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, 
this is actually a. Do you know who Tony Shenton is? I absolutely do. He used to be my agent. Okay. Yeah. Then I don't need to ask that question. What, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, like, hey, maybe you should reach out for Tony to distribute the stuff that you're doing. Uh, yeah. I mean. Because he, he is a method. Yeah. He absolutely, yeah. Maybe you, for the people listening, uh, who is Tony Shenton? Tony Shenton is this really rad guy that used to be the head distributor for, like, Fanographics and Drawn and Quarterly and a couple of other publishers that I'm forgetting. Um, and was the liaison basically for these larger independent publishers uh, working with Diamond and whatever the other major book distributor is. Um, but Tony was the guy that you would talk to if you wanted their books in your store. And what Tony ended up doing, because he's a really rad guy, was he started representing uh, independent publishers like Dave and I um, and selling our zine slash mini comic whatever you want to call them to indie friendly comic book shops and boutique bookstores uh, across north america um so if you didn't want to do that thing that i just suggested where you email all the bookstores on your own behalf you could get in touch with tony who the shops already knew Mm -hmm. and he would rep your books to them Mm -hmm. um he still does this his website is shenton for sales it's a four like the number um, and I don't know if it's on Tumblr now or WordPress or what, but if you Google that, uh, it'll come up. Um, also, I would recommend Birdcage Bottom Books and Radiator Comics as other independent methods of mini comic distribution. Do they do? Do the other two just do mini comics, or do they do everything? I don't know about the other two. I only work with them for mini comics. Copy that. Copy that. Yeah. <laughs> Word. Uh, do you have any uh, any other tips for conventions, or do you want to close this guy out? Bring snacks and water, or have a reliable friend that will definitely bring you snacks and water. Uh, yeah, I've I've been in the unfortunate situation of bringing snacks and water, eating my snacks and water, and then not having a reliable buddy to go get me food. And this happened at San Diego Comic Con on like Friday or Saturday, whichever day was busier, and then I died. like i actually like sent a friend to go get me food and then something happened and they had to deal with a crisis but then also like they were dealing with the crisis so they didn't message me to let me know that they weren't coming back with my food and i seriously like laid down behind my booth and just i was just dead (laughs) yeah like i was shaking i was sick i was just dead so don't forget to bring snacks and water don't forget to get change before you go i'd recommend at least 40 dollars in ones and fives to start your show um, don't forget, it's the worst. No conventions make change. They should. Also, Square. It's oh, really Square Reader. Easy. Or Square, if you, really yeah. easy to sign up. Square's the best. A lot of people are also doing the PayPal Reader, which is basically the same thing, except it goes into your PayPal account instead of your bank account. Yeah. That's the um, reason why I don't like it. That's, that's why I prefer Square also. Because yeah. it goes right into my bank account. Yeah. It's really easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and their fees are pretty small, too. Yeah. Like the fees, really the fees are small. Like, I love Square. Good job, Square. You created a thing that was really useful. No, I actually, uh, the year before Square came out, I bought a credit card processor from my bank because that was how you did it then. And then it cost me like $1,000. And now I just own this machine that isn't linked to any bank account that I don't use. (laughs) Um, But then Square came out and Square is way easier. So thank you, Square. I, I should have just been patient and waited a year. It's what you get. It's what you get for being proactive. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
also like don't be bummed if people don't buy your thing at the convention like still be super friendly and like go meet other creators and like trade that's the, books that's and... the fucking best part is yeah. meeting other is that how I met you did I meet you at a show I'm sure we met at a show I don't even know anymore I think it might have been Zine we, we met here yeah we met here at Zine Melt actually yeah yeah yeah, yeah you, forever it was ago. the first one that was outside it was the one that was outside yeah yeah and uh and you and Nicola had the the pink issue yeah 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 of, the the yeah. girl gang with, with the pink the first one with the pink yeah, yeah 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 and then like a bunch of like little stickers and stuff and i was really daunted i was i found it daunting because there was too much stuff on the table <laughs> and then, and, then uh, and and i was feeling really squirrely that day anyway but then i went over to the table and i was like oh no there's too many things and then i saw nicole's art in that book and i was like okay i like this <laughs> <laughs> too many things too many things oh god oh god too many things <laughs> are you sure it's that i wasn't just coked out of my mind screaming at you because no. that kind of happens sometimes where i'm just like come in <laughs> i think you were like everybody was like so excited and i was like i'm just here to like sell my belts in the steven universe book that just came out i just want to go home <laughs> like, i like was not ready to be here that day um but everybody was really rad and that's how we met the okay word awesome yeah. see and now i now i know and knowing is half the battle where uh where can people find you on the interwebs my friend you can find me at mixtapecomics.com or frankiecomics.com. And I'm across all social media as Mixtape Comics. That's Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, other places, Facebook. Um, and I'm also on Go Comics and Tapastic under Frankie Comics. Get it. Yeah. Get it. Zing, zing, zing. Zing, zing, zing. Zing, zing.